Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Hey everybody, this is the One Hour Photo Podcast by Studio C41. Yes! <laughs> so uh, this episode is a little bit different because uh, Stephen is out going, making the monies. Uh, <laughs> he is up in Canada right now. He's doing a uh, proposal photo shoot. So on the uh, episode back, we talked about um, uh, how nervous and too much pressure i can't take those kinds of uh proposal shoots and like you know it just does not work out for me and and steven's got it on lockdown i'm sure so oh, yeah uh, he's so prepared <laughs> i know so uh so our format is a little bit different so we typically kind of do these one-on-one interviews but jordana thank you for coming down to to join up and i guess we're going to be tag teaming on our new guest here today so <laughs> no pressure dude Uh-oh. <laughs> so uh uh i want to uh welcome brian garris uh he is a large format photographer here in the i would say north georgia here delonica is a little bit yeah you're in the mountains north georgia mountains yep. a country <laughs> land a, a friend of mine calls it god's country god's country <laughs> i feel like that's where you live too bill what you're talking about no, technically where i live <laughs> Cherokee County is still considered Metro Atlanta. Really? So, Are you yeah. Me? Yeah. So I'm like right on the outskirts of it. Like <laughs> I can see Blue Ridge Mountains. Yeah. And then like you look the other way and you're still in Metro Atlanta, baby. Amicalola <laughs> Falls is in my backyard pretty much. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It sounds beautiful. So um uh Brian, thanks for coming down. Um thanks this, for having me. Uh we've we met through some of the photo walks and and the Atlanta film photographers groups and everything. Mm-hmm. And um uh, I, I very much enjoy your large format photography um, and we won't dive too much in right now this very second as far as like I want to give you the platform to talk about it. But I find your uh, work very similar to um, another photographer that uh, is very well known. And, um, and I find it very cool that um, we have this very different big difference as far as ages, but like the techniques and everything is what really is timeless honestly so um so let's let's dive into learning a little bit about you and um and then uh how you got into photography and then uh we'll kind of head into that okay well uh i used to shoot film when i was very young uh in the 90s uh and uh i stopped shooting uh any photography for a while as i focused on music which is what i my background really is in and uh but i came back to photography when uh, I needed a hobby to get away from playing my instrument. I, I play flute and uh, I was practicing six, seven, eight hours a day and I needed something wow. to get off of that because that's <laughs> exhausting. Mm-hmm. So I bought a digital camera, which was fun for about six months and I got kind of bored of it and I decided I wanted to try film again. So mm-hmm. bought a Nikon F5, which is kind of a big jump from a consumer DSLR to Nikon's greatest film SLR ever, in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> And so I suddenly was thrown into that, and uh, I really enjoyed it, and yeah. I really have never looked back since. I, I very quickly went up medium format, large format, and yeah. bigger, too big, <laughs> but yes. Yeah, that's cool. So um, so you have a trusty little camera 
Oh, it's a couple of them actually. Oh, yeah. I, I, I told that, that one was a it. sleeper over there. So um, yeah. I'm I'm guessing that is the uh, wide lux you got. Yeah, I've got there? my wide lux and my uh, Leica. Yeah. yeah, that wide lux is really cool. Uh, so we went on a photo walk. Uh, almost about a month ago, a little bit mm-hmm. more than no, it was in May, I think. End of May, was it in May? Yeah, yeah it was in May, and uh, we were like, oh, we're gonna try to get a selfie. And tell, typically, I'm the one that's taking the picture. I'm never really in these pictures of the photo walks. And you're like, no, 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 no. We got an idea. And you pull out the wide looks from like your pocket. I was like, yeah. where the heck did that come <laughs> from? And then um, you 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 set it down. You angled it up on on the uh, sidewalk, and then uh. Uh, you, it was kind of funny because the way that the wide lux takes these panoramas is that the, the, is it the turret, the turret comes around. It does like almost like a full 180. Um, uh, it, it goes yeah. like 90 degrees, 90 or, degrees. Or, or 135 degrees, 135. So, but it's pretty wide, but it was pretty funny because, uh, you were standing on one side and you fired the, the shutter. Side, yeah. And then and you then had to jump into the frame because it, so the, the shutter speed was one fifteenth of a second. That's right. And uh, but it takes like two seconds to go all the way around. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I bought this, brought this, because I actually have uh, Kodak's lovely thirty-two hundred speed film in here, and I oh, thought, oh wow, hey, look, we have a group of people around a table. This would be a perfect use for yeah. the wide lux. Oh, cool. And so yeah, you can you can hear how long it takes. There you go. <laughs> and I just know what you just did. All of us staring into that. <laughs> yeah, it might be funny. I don't know. We'll see. Wait, oh, it's pretty dark was, in here. Wait. That was actually filming that. Yeah, yeah. P thirty two hundred. Why? Why am I doing this? <laughs> you never know with me. You it's always in my that. pocket. Jeez, oh, man. <laughs> Did I not get the uh, waiver? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> you may not release that ever. <laughs> so, um, but no, it was really cool. I know um, Jeff Bridges uses yeah. the wide lux uh, quite a bit, and Famously, uh, yes. and the those images are awesome i remember listening to his interview on the kodakery and um he was talking about using that camera on sets and everything and um it was so funny because it was when p3200 uh came out and he had not heard of it and so uh they uh they said oh yeah you know uh you know you can put p3200 and he's like it's back out and uh and they're like yeah he goes oh my gosh i need to go get some you know and and then he was like, but wait, is it in uh, medium format, too? And they're like, no, not yet. Well, it's never been, right? Uh, it has never been. Um, and uh, But uh, uh, from the announcements with Kodak Professional, they are very much working on that. Ooh. Yeah. Yay. That's exciting. Yes. I, I like 30, uh, Kodak's 3200 better than Ilford's personally, but, yeah. of course, not available in 120, so... Yeah, that the grain structure is interesting uh, yeah. on the Delta 3200. So I did a comparison, and um, you know, and it, you can kind of tell that the P3200 is a lot tighter yeah. uh, on the grain and there's different grain structures, certainly that you I can like see the tonality, yeah. all the T-Max films, frankly. Yeah, I yeah, totally agree. So, um, okay. So, um, let, let's, I want to learn a little bit about, uh, your photography because, um, I find it um, interesting as somebody that has multiple formats that I shoot through all the time. I mean, every week seems like it's a different format for me. It's mm-hmm. like, hey, you know what? I'm going to go with the Canon at QL17 today, you know, and I grab that off the shelf and, you know, I'll keep that in my bag for a week or two or whatever. And then I change it up and decide I want to punish myself and lug a Pentax 6.7 around <laughs> or something along those lines. And, and, but 
I don't think I've ever really carried a four by five around. I think that's a, a little bit overkill. Well, my four by five is uh lighter than your P sixty seven. Yeah, probably. Yeah, so <laughs> you know, got to pick the right tool for the job. Yeah, that's true. Which four by five? Uh, so well, I have a few. But my the lightest one is the Chamonix, which is about three pounds. I have the mm-hmm. first model, and that one's definitely lighter than the P sixty seven. Yeah. But lately, I've been shooting a lot with my Linhoff, and which is much heavier, but it's such a nicer camera to work with. Mm-hmm. I mean, the movements and everything are just much more precise. And uh, I, I just felt like I was getting too many shots ruined on the Chamonix when I had a the focus would drift or the, mm, be tilted yeah, slightly. And yeah. gotcha. that's cool. So, um. So I want to kind of hear as far as like, so you have the wide lux, you have the uh, like M6 here, and then, you know, you you certainly have uh, quite a few number of cameras at home. I guess, what is it that you kind of go through and say, you know what, I want to shoot this on four by five or, you know, even 35 to medium format, I guess, like kind of walk me through like some of your decision making that you go through when you go on hikes and stuff like that in the North right. mountains and stuff. Well, first of all, the weight definitely is important. Um, Mm. I go a lot on the Appalachian Trail. And for instance, if I'm going up to Blood Mountain, Mm. uh, a heavy camera is not the the best tool sometimes because that is a brutal hike. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, I usually don't shoot landscapes too much with 35 millimeter um, just because it's pretty small and the enlargement is a little harder to get larger. And I like large prints, Mm -hmm. but I choose between medium format and large format or or 8 by 10 um, really because I think about how big I want to print it or if I want to contact print it. Mm-hmm. And uh, certainly the larger the format, the easier it is to make a, a nice print yeah. uh, at 16 by 20, say. But the weight is important. And also I like novelty. I like to change cameras sometimes, you know, rather than using the, you know, some people, one camera, one lens, that's the way they shoot. And that's fine. And you that's get me. so, yeah, is it? <laughs> pretty much. But. Which, which camera is that? Uh, no, pretty much the um, Pentax, um, PZ1P is what I've been using now recently. Mm-hmm. Um, but before that, like it was the Olympus OM1 for everything, um, right. with the 51.4. But then I was like, I need glasses and I can't manual focus. But oh, um, so that, that was pretty much it. Yeah, but um, but I pretty much only only use one. Certainly, but. getting the acquainted to that camera and knowing it like the back of your hand is mm-hmm. is yeah. important. And yeah. I think practicing with any camera is important. But it's boring. Yeah, it can get boring <laughs> for sure. Uh, but I, I really liked uh, the large format though with with the hiking and okay yeah. so I, I when I hike and with medium format I usually bring a Century Graphic which is still a, a, a has ground glass mm-hmm. and so I like shooting landscapes with composing on the ground glass regardless of what size it is it's okay. certainly a different experience mm-hmm. uh, squinting through a viewfinder I find I miss things in the corner mm. I uh, you know I I might not see what's around what I'm shooting because I I'm, I'm you know, it's a tunnel vision. Sure, yeah. And so that's, to me, number one is getting out of a viewfinder and, and onto the ground glass. Sure. And, of course, the larger the ground glass, the easier it is to see. And 4 by 5 is kind of the sweet spot, but uh, it's certainly fun to shoot on a giant piece of 8 by 20 <laughs> ground glass. You know, that's a different experience. <laughs> sure. Um, but definitely the ground glass is important to me. Yeah. So how much of a difference? So you've shot some crazy, what was it, like an 11 by 17 or something? Oh, my biggest like one's 8 by 20. 8 by 20. Okay, so... I guess the experience in shooting something that big, um, so that's essentially two eight by tens put side by side right. in the in the sense of formats and stuff like that. Um, I guess what is the experience as far as like I know I'll be on the ground glass looking through a loop and checking for corners and stuff like that. I mean, like yeah. when you have something that wide, I guess how are you like? Is the methodology as far as checking for focus the same and 
the movements are those the same and stuff like that? Well, I hardly have to uh, use a loop because you can see everything so sharply on the on the larger ground glass. Mm. Um, I bring a loop, but half the time I don't use it because uh, mm. you can really tell. Yeah. Um, and then of course it doesn't matter because I'm stopping down to F90 or something ridiculous. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. But uh, in terms of the experience, um, I don't know when you're when you're in the under the dark cloth. I mean, you're like it's like you're looking at a TV, you know. <laughs> and and the larger the format, the more it, it's bright. It's yeah. really bright. I mean, shooting a 90 millimeter, say on my four by five, is pretty dim. F8, you know. Mm. But when I've got a 300 millimeter F9 on my eight by twenty, like I said, it's like a TV. Wow. And so it's definitely a different experience, and uh, it's nice to have that bright ground glass, and you can see every little detail, especially when it comes into focus. It's just, it's you know, they talk about how it just pops, and it really yeah. does. That's really cool. Yeah, no, it's funny you mentioned that, like how it just pops, like you see it. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny, like with uh, the Pentax 6-7 for me, um, the reason why I've kind of abandoned the Mamiya 7 um, is not so much that I was missing focus with it. Like, I love when the lines on the edges and when the split uh, prism, you see where it lines up and you, right. you take the shot and it's great. And I, I love that. But like, I noticed that if I wanted to try to go for something a little bit more wide open, like say like on the uh, 150 millimeter F 4.5 and um, that lens is notoriously known for constantly um, falling out of the calibration specs mm-hmm. um, and, and I'm constantly having to send it in for CLA about once a year because it starts to to drift and and that's a very common issue where people are like oh I don't even shoot it wide open at 4.5 and I typically just go ahead and stop that down to somewhere like f8 just because I know it's going to be in focus but then you lose you know the bokeh that happens yeah you know, well you might as well shoot 35 millimeter exactly so um, I've started to abandon that, and, but it was so funny is that when I, I'm back to an SLR, and especially on a 6.7, I've never really shot through a viewfinder on a 6.7, but when that focus, especially on that, uh, the 105, the 105 yeah, yeah, you just see it, it, like it just lands and like the edges are just sharp. Especially and, because of the depth of field. It's such yeah, a different experience than a rangefinder. And I love rangefinders, yeah, but um, well, they both have their different uses. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, rangefinders are just typically not set to shoot for wide open. Yeah. I mean, just, they're not accurate like that. I've honestly never understood the Mamiya 7's popularity. Mm-hmm. I feel like um, if you're going to shoot landscapes with it, you can't compose accurately to really use every bit of the frame because you can't really tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're going to shoot like street or something like that, you're probably shooting 35 millimeter. Mm-hmm. I've never understood its niche, but yeah. that's me. Yeah, um, I think it's the optics out of it. Well, uh, certainly it's good optics and yeah. that's helpful, but... Yeah, and I think that for me is like, you know, I can put a 50 millimeter, which is equivalent like right right around mid-20s um, on a 35, but to shoot something that wide and have literally almost zero distortion, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, mind-blowing. But yeah, I totally understand and, and get your aspect as far as like why somebody would want to shoot the Mimia 7, but... You know, and that's probably one of the reasons why I'm kind of abandoning it now. And um, have you ever used the yeah. waist level finder on your Pentax? Um, I, I don't have. I mean, I've taken the prism off and I've looked down looked on it, it and stuff like that. And, and it is beautiful. Yeah, that's a different experience it too. Is. Uh, yeah. Last year, I started. Uh, I took off the metering head of my Pentax and just shot it with the with the um, waist level, and it's it was kind of like my Century. I could actually see what I was doing a lot more, and mm-hmm. it was nice. But of course, again. It's too heavy. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. 
So, but the, it, you are absolutely right when it comes to, you know, seeing that focus fall right into place. Like you just know it. And, and I've gotten to that point where I just, when I see it, I'm firing the trigger. I'm not even sec- taking a second guess at that point. And right. then, you know, and I've taken some, a look at some of the negatives and they're fantastically sh- perfectly sharp and i'm really happy with the results i'm getting out yeah i will say like i like like i was just saying about not shooting my limp as much because of like focusing issues but when i which is rare but when i take out my kiev like it was just you know the hasselblad knockoff and it's like you know a waist level um right Mm -hmm. i'm surprised at how many i can get in focus like at 2.8 when Mm -hmm. because i was like these are all gonna like just be totally blurry but like I mean, maybe it's because I'm working slower or something, but, um, but yeah, there's something about the larger, you know, uh, ground glass that I'm able to. Yeah. Really the, the smaller it gets, into. it's just hard. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. So, well, cool. So, um, so you do, uh, a lot of printing on your work with the four by five and stuff like that and roll your images. So you primarily shoot black and white, right? Right. Well, I do shoot yeah. color. I just don't print it because I don't have the equipment to print it. Yeah. So, so do you have, I don't want to say, do you have some kind of beef against like printing the color or anything along those lines? No, or I, like, I would love to print yeah. color. In fact, I have a lot of ideas in the back of my head for printing mm-hmm. color, but um, just finding the equipment, especially here in Georgia, I mean, mm-hmm. they're everywhere in California, but over here, it's hard to find a used one. Mm-hmm. I had somebody give me one. They shipped it across the country and it arrived broken. He hadn't even tested it before he sent it to me, mm. um, which was disappointing. And uh, that's the thing is that people give them away. It's just getting them over here because they're 60 pounds, some of the yeah. color heads. And they're much more um, prone to breaking because they're not. They got computers inside of them. And, I mean, electronics. Mm. And so they're hard to find and get. Um, I know I've, I've got a guy down in South Georgia. He'd like to sell me one, but it's mm. more expensive than I can really afford. So. Mm. so I guess what is the decision making process as far as you would prefer to print color optically as opposed to like scanning it in oh yeah and And i scan everything and i do print occasionally Mm -hmm. um send it out um and Mm -hmm. i like the still the wet prints you know or the laser jet c prints re4s re4 um but um i like to have a handmade print in my hand and made by me yeah you're Uh, you want the control yeah i want the control and i also want to say yes i made this i didn't Mm. You know, you can say, well, you scanned it and you, and you did all the editing and everything, and that's fine. But mm-hmm. it's a certainly a different experience than pulling it out of the chemicals yourself and saying, oh, for sure. I did everything here and not a single mm-hmm. digital uh, photon of electricity touched <laughs> this or whatever. You know, that's another cool thing. You know, scans are fine, too. Sure. And, and, and again, I have a, a scan everything just to yeah. have a copy of it. But yeah. uh, it's different. Yeah. Um, so if you were to ever shoot slide, would you be like a very big proponent of like Cibachrome returning? Oh yeah, I wish. Yeah. Uh, I've got a friend down in Albany and he used to print Cibachrome and, uh, he showed me some of his Cibachrome prints and they, they don't look like the metallic paper. They're still different. Yeah. That's cool. So, um, so let's, let's talk about some of the stuff that you are printing, um, and you are printing those in, um, uh, black and white. So mm-hmm. let, let's talk about. Um, your process as far as, um, I don't, I don't necessarily want to di- dive into the secret sauce. Oh, uh, <laughs> there's no secret sauce. Just Ilford. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but I'd like to hear as far as like, um, is there like a methodology when, when you, when you take the shot, you know, like, have you already kind of like envisioned how you would want that shot to look on print? 
I, I definitely am working on my pre-visualization. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes, um, well, one thing I did last year is I really noticed that I was printing things that should be printed large. I was printing them small. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I was printing things that should be printed small. I was printing them large. What do you mean by that? Like should be printed? Well, I mean the feeling of the image. Like if I take a macro image of a leaf on the ground on the side of a of a riverbed, um, I I was I was like I should print this, and I thought about what size should I print this, and I I tend to gravitate towards large prints. I like large prints, mm-hmm. but I I looked at that image and I thought this would be perfect for the textured paper that I have on a four by five contact print. It was a four by five sheet, mm-hmm. and so um, the contact print is very beautiful. I think because it is a small scene. It's not a overarching landscape or anything. And, mm. and just to hold it in your hand and it's the textured paper with the textured rocks and sand on the, on the shore. And, uh, you know, it's choosing the size and the paper that best fits the image, not just printing all your images at whatever size or. Sure. So that's cool. No, you bring up a very good point too, as far as like how impactful you want to kind of like present that image too in a certain sense like you know if you're gonna put it into a gallery or something along those lines and there's gonna be a lot of i guess negative space would be the proper term i guess in a gallery where say that Mm -hmm. so like there's just this a lot of empty space essentially and you got to fill it up and you know i think that if you have remove a lot of the distractions and you have this just one giant print you know it really can invite somebody in and -hmm. like you start off with something far away and going, you see everything. And then like, if you're shooting it on like four by five, you can still get tons of detail as you're getting closer and closer, closer in. Yeah. It also makes, you know, an impact to have a huge empty room and one tiny contact print. You know, oh, sure. so yeah, like, that's a good point. There's yeah. so many like decisions when you, when you get yeah, to like that stage yeah. of, yeah. Well, it's like of development the, of your project. It's like, I know some people though, they, I've seen advertisements that say, these prints are available in any size you want, you know, five by seven up to 20 by 24 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, but why? Why? Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I tend to want, like, want to print mine at like a certain size. I, I will say, like, I like that you were like thinking so much about like the actual like scene and like what I think more just about like, oh, like, I don't want this picture to be, you know, at every size. I want it to be at like a, I want the outside dimensions to be like a standard size if people want to put it in the frame, but I don't want to crop. So I just sure. kind of have, cre- I, I, I can't remember the exact measurements, but I've come up with like a, what a 35 millimeter can enlarge to maybe less than twice. It's 20 or something like that. It's like smaller than that. It's like a weird size, but then I put like this, like the border, s- the border and it makes a, a standard size. I think it makes yeah. um, mm-hmm. uh, a 16 by 20, something like that. Anyways, I've yeah. come up with like the math to do it. And then, and now yeah. I'm like, I only want to print it this size. Cause like, I just want it to, to be consistent, but I yeah. do think like thinking about the, each image right. as a print. makes. I a struggled that with uh, a few years ago, I did a project of a, uh, of an old cotton mill and uh, I shoot a lot of wide angles and I was shooting a lot of super, super wide angles. Mm. And, uh, I started printing this one this size, this one that size, and and it started to get frustrating. So I was like, these don't match. Mm-hmm. And so I had to kind of pull back and think about what size do I want most of these to be, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we were doing big expansive views of this cotton mill being um, torn down. And so we standardized on, a, I think it was a 30 by 18 or something like that. Yeah. Um, the print size, not the not the frame size, but... Once it all was kind of the same, it looks, it gives it, it's a, certainly a different thing for, for a gallery show. That's the thing that's sure. important, can be important. Mm-hmm, sure. Definitely. And it brings consistency to the work too. If you're, if it's like a cohesive theme or project, then sometimes it does help to have them all a similar size. I mean, 
again, unless your concept has to do with size or whatever. There's so many things. There's no hard, fast rules or anything. There's not. It's As long as it's intent behind it, right? (laughs) Right. Intent is my favorite word. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I love that word because a lot of people don't have it when they, when they, they ask, well, like, why this, why that, you know, and and it's like, you got to have that intent. Yeah. That's literally how I define art, which is again, like not necessarily the right answer, but being in art school, you know, they're like, oh, what is art? We talked about that the whole time, but My thing is intent. If you have intent, any whatever it might be, it doesn't really matter. Then it's art. If you right. don't, then it's craft. Sure. Yeah. No, I think that's a very, uh, very good point that you bring up there. Well, back in uh, back when I was a student, music student, um, we had a class where they said, "What is music?" And we had a discussion, and people were to say, "Sound, all sound." And said, "Are pots and pats, <laughs> uh, pots and pans banging together music?" Uh, well, maybe not. <laughs> and, and so finally, the the, the uh, official definition that they came up with was organized sound. Mm. And so um, the organization implies intent, I would say. Yeah, and definitely. So perhaps that is yeah. a discussion of what is art. Maybe it's organized uh, something. I don't know. Visual. But, yeah, organized visual. Yeah, there's <laughs> lots of good conversation to be had on that, but it's certainly yeah. that intent. And I, I agree 100%. Yeah, that's cool. So, um, so you have uh, uh, certainly a lot of intent when you're taking the picture. You're already thinking about the next step. So as far as what's going to happen with this particular shot that you're about to take. So you you kind of hinted at it a little bit. You're talking about like, oh, this would fit well with this kind of paper that I have or I can get or right. something along those lines. Um, so I guess tell me a little bit about um some of the tools that you're using in the dark room, I know there's going to be an enlarger and, you know, those types of things, but right. let, let's dive into, you know, somebody that's kind of interested in the dark room and stuff like that. Like what, what are some of your things that people should consider if they want to kind of get into that stuff? All right. So I have both a condenser and a diffusion head for my enlarger. Um, mm-hmm. I use different ones depending on the negatives, um, but I, I like both of them, but the, the uh, condenser is hot, which can mm-hmm. be an issue with longer exposures. And uh, so it depends on what you're doing, but both of them work fine. But I, I print everything on Ilford paper pretty much. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I've, I've tried some of the other papers, but the Ilford's very consistent. It's very easy to work with. They have mm-hmm. a lot of different types for whatever you want to do. And what I mentioned earlier was my the uh, textured paper, which is Ilford Art 300. Mm-hmm. And the paper is very nice. It's very expensive, unfortunately, but mm-hmm. um, it's really nice to work with. And uh, the texture for certain images is really, really nice. So if I take an image of rocks, you know, Mm -hmm. that texture obviously plays Mm -hmm. right into it. If it's leaves, maybe not. So I choose what I want to, what I want to do with the image with based on the paper. I like matte paper. A lot of people don't like matte paper. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of it. You're not a big fan. Mm -hmm. What about you? Yeah, I I love matte paper. I only print on matte. I mean, I do digital prints from scans, but yeah, all Mm -hmm. matte paper. (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. So what do you not like about glossy? I mean, that. Uh, um, I, I guess it's, it's just typically the when I, I, I so I, my work is mostly print. Uh, so I'll send it through a printer and stuff like that. And so I've, I've played a lot with a lot of the different types of cansons. And uh, um, I, I guess it's just like I like the, the Burrita paper right. um, uh, a lot better. Um, and I don't know if it's, I think it's more along the textures. Um, it kind of has a nice little sheen to it. Um, and I think that's like almost not 
glossy, but it's not matte. Like semi-gloss? Yeah, yeah. I would say, okay. yeah, definitely. It's a semi-gloss. Say, so Ilford makes their warm tone paper, which yeah. is their only paper that has a semi-gloss finish. And I do like the semi-gloss on that. Yeah. Um, but the matte paper for me is has a lot of depth to it. Mm-hmm. The glossy paper is easy to get a very, very deep black. And a lot of people talk yeah. about the D-Max of the paper. Yeah. And, how, and, and I used to print too dark um, on the matte paper because I was trying to get Oh, that's that's emaciated. I kept thinking, but then I would put it behind the glass on in, in the frame. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, that's what it's supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. You know, it adds uh, some. There's a difference to looking at it in hand versus in the in the frame. Right. Um, but the matte paper to me has a has a really nice depth to it, and mm-hmm. especially for landscapes and stuff. I, the glossy is kind of well, it's high gloss. It's it's flashy, but sure. But man, the matte paper is nice to me. Is it yeah. true? I'm trying to remember from when I did darkroom prints in college. Even the the matte paper is not as matte as like some digital like rag paper because it has to have some kind of coating. Am I wrong or? You know, I, I wouldn't be the one to ask that, honestly. Okay. I don't know. But I do know that there's certainly a lot of difference in the mats between different papers. So I, I have shot or uh, printed on some FOMA paper mm-hmm. and uh, ADOX paper and the FOMA matte is so matte and it's so hard to print on. So that's the other thing is matte paper, darkroom paper is really hard to print on. You got to get it just right. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the the glossy is pretty forgiving. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that's the same for digital prints too, to be honest. Um, yeah. the, the matte seems to like show more and like mm-hmm. the color kind of shifts or the, the black point, you know, right. is a lot harder to get yeah. the contrast right. Yeah. And, and, I have done some portraits uh, of people on printed onto mat, and I don't know. I guess I kind of have a hard time kind of gauging as far as like my experience shooting um, a scanned image or scanning an image and then printing it through a printer. Right. Um, I think you're looking at try to get to very close to that look of you know what it, uh a uh, silver gelatin print is but it's not the same and and looking at a computer yeah. screen which is generally glossy or mm-hmm. at least somewhat yeah. glossy and backlit and backlit yeah. is so different and yeah. i so i scan everything and i proof it and i say okay i want to print this and usually i don't really refer back to that image uh, on my computer mm-hmm. and okay. i just print it and i look at it and i make decisions based on what i'm doing at the time and then i'll go back and look and i'm like whoa i was way off not yeah. that, but it's not not necessarily a bad thing right but uh and then sometimes i'll reprint things and change it and you know of course ansel adams famous quote about you know the negative being the the score or whatever right um so but it's true though and and you, i never really do things the same twice and and that's why i say my prints are not you know people say uh what is this an addition and i say no because everyone's addition of one you know <laughs> so i mean and that sounds i guess that sounds a little chintzy but <laughs> Uh, hey, as long as they're not the, the same. No, it's yeah. true, right? Right. right. Well, that's, it's it's a marketing gimmick, but sure. one of a kind, though. It is. Yeah. 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 I mean, no, no print, especially. I mean, when, when you're printing optically, um, by hand, it, by hand, um, you know, it is. You know, there's going to be very, very slight variations of, um, and and I kind of learned this from Lena Besanova and just kind of mm-hmm. talking about her work that, um, you know, she can put so many different prints onto a wall and she can tell, even though she has the calculations and you know, how long I should dodge here and all that, right. she can see the slightest variations between yeah, some that, of her Instagram yeah. stories and, and yeah. the little differences. And it's, it's true. It's, it's impossible to be exact. And sometimes it's so slight. I asked my wife, I said, which one's better? And she's like, there's no difference. Said, yes, there is. Don't you see that? No, I don't see that. <laughs> yeah, no, it is very true. So, um, 
So I kind of want to shift a little bit away from the the printing aspect, and um, and so I kind of want to talk to you because I've I've dabbled with the idea at, at one point, and and then this whole podcast thing has kind of turned into to more so along the lines of the path that I think I was I decided to go down. Um, the photographer that I referenced uh, that I was alluding to early on was uh clyde butcher mm-hmm. and um and clyde what i find very interesting with his history was that he gained his name by going to all these art fairs and really setting a standard of what his, people expect with his work as opposed to what other people put in these art festivals and these craft fairs and stuff yeah. like those like that and I find it very interesting because I kind of almost feel like that you're on the same trajectory, right? And and I Hope find so. it, <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh, you know, it's um, uh, for the people that don't know who Clyde Butcher is, he is a uh, photographer that is very. I would say he's kind of like our Ansel Adams of Ansel this Adams time. of Florida. Yes, the Ansel Adams, the Ansel Adams of Florida, um, and uh, he did uh, several projects with the Everglades, I believe. Out yeah, well, there. his gallery is in the Big Cypress uh, National Park, yeah. and that's where he's mostly located. His his most famous pieces. Yeah. So um, I remember several uh, episodes. I mean, and when I say several, I I want to go all the way back to almost the beginning of season one, where he had a stroke. And, uh, um, and he has made quite a bit of a recovery, uh, from that, but he's not, he's mostly retired the film cameras, I believe he's using, uh, the Sony digital with tilt shift lenses to stitch several images together. Yeah. So, and I could totally understand that because I mean, I've seen him pull out like a big old, uh, you know, eight by 20 on some of his images and stuff like that, or the videos and everything. And they're fascinating. They're mind blowing to watch. But a lot of this work is from, I would say in his prime of, of I wouldn't say probably late mid nineties into the early early two thousands, um, and uh, I would say maybe late eighties as well. I would say so. My uh, my wife's family actually has a print from him that they found at a garage sale for one dollar. No, oh my God, yes, and uh, this print is I believe it's actually a digital print. He actually used to print on ink, or very early I believe. Really. And uh, so, uh, the you can tell the print doesn't look quite like a silver gelatin print. Um, but mm-hmm. they they haven't let me take it, <laughs> <laughs> and they haven't let me open it up to look at it more more closely. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, early in his career, he was actually printing not on silver gelatin paper, I really? believe, and also you know he printed on RC paper for a long time. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, he only he only switched to fiber later. Wow, interesting. Hmm. So, um, so let me let me bring it back around. So, Sorry. um, so I do know that. I find it very interesting that you have set this standard uh, today, especially now that we see a lot of photographers at these art festivals oh, yeah. and stuff like that. And not to put a, put a dig into these, you know, photographers that are there. I mean, they're they're creating work. They're going out there and they're making a buck, you know, and, and good on them. They're putting themselves out there, which is yeah. the hardest part, frankly. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, putting your work out there, I think, is one of the scariest things uh, out there, especially when, you know, somebody huge comes and looks at this and then, you know, rips it to shreds. You know, it's like somebody like punched your puppy or something <laughs> like those lines. <laughs> but um, um, but I find it very interesting uh, when I go to these art festivals and, you know, I, I want to pay attention to um, 
you know, some kind of work. If it really speaks to me, I, I will buy it, you know? And, um, but it's very difficult sometimes because if I see something that's engaging, I'll start asking questions about like, what kind of paper was this printed on? You know, why did you shoot this format or why was it printed this way? You know, finding out the intent behind it. And, and I personally get turned off very quickly when somebody was like, you know, it's not so much like the type of paper. Like if they just say it was printed on Canon paper or something along those lines, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think there's a lot of papers out there that are really good that can be Canon papers and stuff like that. But like, I want to know why you chose that paper. And if I don't get an answer in that, then I kind of almost start questioning the, not the authenticity of this picture, but like the, uh, well, I don't know, that's, they're that's so much word. separated from the yeah. work, um, especially yeah. with, you know, again, not to dig, dig on digital, but you know, the, it's, it's not the same thing as a hand done print. And yeah. uh, so the people, you know, they click the button, they go and they fiddle with it in Lightroom and then they print it on their inkjet and that's fine. It can be a great picture, but it doesn't quite have the same uh, feel of an end-to-end handmade print. Right. So you set the standard for yourself, and and that's – I'd like to hear a little bit more about how you're engaging at these art festivals. And um, I'd like to kind of tap into, like, what are some of, like, the tips and tricks for people that are kind of interested in getting into it? And then um, – and then I, I'd like to hear as far as like, how are you kind of differentiating yourself mm-hmm. from the sea of like, like an art festival? I mean, there's a tons of photographers there. Yeah, that is by far the most common sure. uh, thing these days. And, uh, you know, at, my, at the festivals I've done, I, you know, I can't speak for every one of them, of course, but I have sure. never been to a festival that had another photographer with primarily black and white work. Another thing about your question earlier, why aren't mm. you printing color? And I would like to again, but but it does differentiate me from the beginning when they walk into a booth with no color and everyone mm. comments, comments on it. They're like, wow, this yeah. is different. Mm. And so that's an immediate difference. Well, you know, it's kind of funny because people, I, I would say when they're seeing so much color around them, they're kind of desensitized to that. Oh, for sure. And then, and then when you kind of sh- strip that away, uh, then they've kind of, been uh we hypersensitized see yes exactly so everything well they look color. at the image more than the color then yeah you know because mm-hmm. that's interesting yeah but uh you know in terms of your question a second ago um so the first thing is engaging with the customer and some of the art festivals i've been to i've seen a booth of photography and i started to look around the photography and there's nobody there mm-hmm. and i finally figured out they're sitting on the other side of the street looking at people in their booth mm-hmm. and i guess deciding whether or not they're going to come talk to them that's weird. And I don't get hmm. that at all. So I sit inside my booth. Um, one of the things, I have a director's chair, which so, <laughs> so that you're high up. So Because yeah. while you're sitting there for, you know, six, hours. eight, ten yeah. hours a day, you know, you need to be comfortable. Sure. And standing is, is obviously not the way to go. But the director's <laughs> chair is nice to be an eye level with the customer. Yeah. And I usually hop up as soon as somebody's pretty engaged. You know, sometimes people are just browsing and that's fine. But uh, one of the things for me is, uh, so all, most of my photographs, especially the ones I have printed, I have a story with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, especially when somebody looks and they're looking at a print and maybe they, they kind of grab it and look at it a little closer, I say, well, let me tell you about that. You know, that's the dead river down in Florida where, mm. and you know, that there's a Try really cool story. Yeah, yeah. I say, that's, 
there's a there's a whirlpool at the end of this river right over this in this photo right here and that's if you don't know where you're going you're going to get sucked down the whirlpool <laughs> that, that's true too actually um and that of course that engages the customer sure. so much more than yeah i took this photo yeah of course that's <laughs> no, true it, you add a little sense of danger to that image oh yeah they, yeah. they, love, they love the danger for sure yeah. And, mystery and, yeah my, my wife does not uh, she's always worried about me when I'm out canoe- canoeing or something. And she's like, where are you going again? I said, don't worry about it. <laughs> I'll call you when I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, there's no cell phone signal. So if you don't oh, hear geez. from me in five days. Uh... <laughs> oh, boy. Yikes. Oh, man. I, I, I bet you she gives you a hard time. Oh, yeah. Well, I try to tell her where I'm going, though, at least. But... So, but, yeah, engaging the customer is really, really important. And also being excited about your work. Um mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty passionate about photography, I think. And I think that comes through when I talk to a customer. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I talk to, you know, I, I don't I don't usually like to, um, I don't like to go into another photographer's booth and say, oh, yeah, I'm a photographer too. Mm-hmm. Of course, everyone does that to me. But um, <laughs> you know, I don't like to do that. I just talk to them about whatever their, their work is. And a lot sure. of people just seem so uh, disinterested. And I think it's because, you know, they're not as passionate about it as they should be. You know, maybe they, I mean, they're at the art festival, you know, they want to show the work, but I I don't know. Sometimes I don't see the passion. Mm. Yeah. That makes sense. It's also like, you know, I struggle with this. It's like talking about yourself and just like being like proud of something that you do. It's like, there's this like dichotomy inside uh, of me. That's like, you know, I really want to like show my work because like I I do do it to show, you know, it's not just like a hobby, like a private thing for me, yeah. but at the same time, I'm just like, you know, it's terrifying. And then like, I'm really hard on myself. So sure. it's really hard to oh, just yeah. be like, oh, well, we're all our own worst critics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you can't really sh- show that, especially like direct to the public. Like, yeah, if you're yeah. like, this one sucks, <laughs> they're going to be like, okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, it's a very good point that you bring up because I mean, if you think about it, if you go into like an art gallery, right. Or let, let's just say you're hired by a photographer to sell their art, right. You're, I don't I hate to use this word, but you're indoctrined to think this is the most amazing photographer in the world. And yeah. you have to buy this print, right. Well, you should go, go to a Peter Lick gallery. and listen. To, <laughs> oh, listen. Gee, no, we're not going down that rabbit Uh-oh. hole. That's a bad rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but the marketing people though, is yeah, my no, point. No, that's a very good point. Yes. I mean, those people think that Peter Lick is the most amazing photographer in the world. And you know, that's why this picture is worth $3 million or whatever, you know? Um, but you know, it's difficult to do that when it's your work. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, like to, to sell it at that kind of energy, saying, you know, not necessarily I'm the most amazing photographer in the world, but you kind of want to instill that confidence into the customer going, you know, I'm buying something that he values a lot, right? You know, rather yeah. than going, well, shucks, you know, yeah. This, you know, <laughs> the other thing for me is uh, is shooting film and printing traditionally, um, I can immediately say I am different, you know, like, so, mm-hmm. you know, it's not that I, I'm not going to say special or anything, but like, at least I have a real different thing that i can say this is i'm really doing this work no that's true that's like a like kind of objective thing because i do like it is easier for me to like tell that to other people like by the way like i shoot film so there's something like different you know i don't print uh analog but still i'm like when people might want to hire me i'm like there's this you know kind of unique thing that i do and i shoot film and that's why you know it this is why a certain quality of images um but that you're right like as just like a it's just like a fact, you know, it's right. not just like this is I'm not saying like films better, but like this is just a fact that sets me apart. Yeah. The other thing for me, I, I actually bring a camera and I put it on a tripod outside my tent. 
And oh, cool. uh, that immediately draws people in. And of course they say, uh, oh, this is a cool prop. I say, no, it's not a prop. All these images are shot with that camera. And that brings them in the nice. tent every time. Nice. I like that. Yeah. This guy, he yeah. is smart. <laughs> <laughs> that was certainly the smartest marketing decision I ever ever thought of for the festivals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. So tell me a little bit about the workflow. Like as far as like, you know, you take these prints and stuff like that. Like um, I know certain festivals, well, I, I pretty much I'd, I'd say all festivals now require a picture of the booth and everything along oh, those yeah. lines. Like, well, if you're, if, if you're starting to think about these things, so the mm-hmm. first thing that you need to have is a tent, of course. Yeah. And a lot of people at the lower end festivals, they, they bring the, the, you know, $60 tent they got at Walmart and those don't fly at the bigger, bigger festivals at all. So mm-hmm. what I actually have is kind of the lowest end, uh, you know, real tent, I would say is an easy up. And, and a lot of people don't like them because they are a little flimsy, Sure. Uh, in my experience, it's been decent enough as long as you don't do things with it you shouldn't be doing. Like, I don't put it out completely raised to the top, uh, you know, however high it goes. I don't yeah. I don't extend it, overextend it. And, uh, of course, I have uh, walls so that uh, I can close it up and the wind can not, you know, pick it up from mm-hmm. the bottom. Of course, cool. you have to have the sandbags and all right. of that. But you know, the tent is really, really important. And so you, to, to the, what I did when I first started is I, I bought that tent. And then I sat down and said, how am I going to display this work? Mm-hmm. And I knew that I wanted to do uh, a gallery hanging type system on the sides. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't have enough money to buy the gallery hanging system. So mm-hmm. I bought a bunch of carabiners and some fishing line <laughs> and uh, uh, the little uh, things you hammer into the wall, the little hooks, uh, yeah. you know, the no, you know, the, with the tiny nails. And so I, mm-hmm. I strung those through the fishing line and I, and I clipped on a, a weight, you know, the fishing weight. Yeah. So that it wouldn't slide. Right. And uh, I made a whole bunch of, that could hold, you know, five prints, smaller prints on the little hangers uh, on fishing line. And was able to do the whole tent that way, which which uh, was pretty ghetto, but it worked. <laughs> and, uh, cool. you know, yeah. I, I've, I've kind of abandoned that now because I've gotten a little bit, yeah. um, you know, more serious. But sure. um, but figuring out how to hang it was the first thing. And you can get the the gallery hanging systems for fairly cheap if you put them together. Amazon um, has the parts all. If you buy them pre-made, they're very expensive. Sure, but, yeah. but you can buy the materials and you buy a nice cutter and a clamp or a crimper. Mm-hmm. And then you can make the little lines yourself. And uh, so then the other thing was I started, I had bare prints. I, so I mat everything. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't sell, I, I don't sell bare prints just because they're fiber paper. They're curly. People don't really understand that. Mm-hmm. They're like, what is wrong with this? You know, yeah. right, you know it's a little yeah, different yeah. than a digital, I mean, a inkjet on normal right. paper or yeah. whatever. Um, so I, I mat everything. And uh, at first I didn't have any poly bags because I was stupid. Mm. And um, so I, I, the poly bags are really important so that you can, you can put them in the poly bags and they're, they're sealed up. clear plastic sleeves yeah, the clear that they plastic drop to mat. And they're archival or whatever. But yeah. um, the only thing is I really don't like those because, like I said earlier, I like matte paper, but... Um, they're all glossy and reflecting the light. And mm. so I take them out of the poly bags to show people if I want to, if they're mm. really interested, especially the textured paper, they can touch it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so the portfolio or the, the, the poly bags are important. And then, so I had a, a guy next to me and he said, you know, you need to start buying frames and bring frames. And he sold everything framed. Now I take everything in a Camry, Toyota Camry. So I cannot mm-hmm. bring massive amounts of glass and frames. Sure. Yeah. Um, but of course a lot of people bring, panel vans or, or, or trailers or whatever. But mm-hmm. personally, most people haven't asked about frames, but I, I don't really know how important that is to people. To me, their decor may be 
you know, maybe they want a wooden mm-hmm. frame yeah. or a black frame. I like black metal frames, mm-hmm. simple frames. And uh, so, so I'll usually bring a couple of framed pieces, bigger ones, and then mm-hmm. that's it. Yeah. Um, but you got to figure all that out because bringing that stuff is really a challenge. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a very good point. I personally like to purchase the frame myself because I, I like to, I think that's kind of like my own personal addition to like if I, if I buy somebody's work. Mm-hmm. Um, it changes it. It changes it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like right now I, I bought a print from one of our previous guests on the show, uh, Tim Gander. And the print came in only from the UK and, um, and he said, I can't wait to see the frame that you choose for it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I always try to look at the image and kind of like, you know, determine what can I do to like really bring this picture up? Cause I, I do have pictures that are just a simple black frame and stuff like that. And I, I think there's a certain decision where I go. Yeah, I think I want to go ahead and have a black, just a simple black frame because the image is almost like a minimalist style. And I think I want to keep true to that. But, you know, if I'm buying somebody else's work, I kind of want to add my own little twist to that image by, you know, adding my own frame. Yeah. And I think also when I've purchased work from like a gallery or something along those lines that already has a frame to it, you know, and you kind of you can see like there's the option to get it without the frame. It's just like, wow, that is really expensive for some wood. Uh, oh, yeah. Frames you know. are a racket, of course. Right. Um, oh, yeah. All framing is super expensive, though. Yeah. But, so, But sometimes I think that people want to hang it up when they get home, and that's the, the difference for them, mm. especially people that just don't care. Yeah. Um, And that's fine. So I usually I have a few different um, sizes of frames so that if somebody wants a frame, I can just add it. Because all my prints are, are are matted to the to the normal, typical sizes, generally speaking. Right. So. Very cool. So, um, what is the, like, I guess one of the hardest things when I was first kind of looking into doing this was like, how the heck do I find out about these places? Because when I started looking into like, oh, there's this art festival that I found on, you know, Marietta Square's site, the, their big art festival. And then when I go to see if I can apply to it, it is like totally booked. And like there are certain ones and I I guess there's this is where the research side comes in where, you know, it's announced to artists like a a year in advance or sometimes if they're huge years in advance and entry into it costs money. And then, you know, um, so so everyone who's interested in art festivals, the first thing they need to do is go to zapplication.com. That is Z with application.com. And that's the de facto standard for for applying to art festivals pretty much mm. um they're all listed there pretty much and uh you can find all the relevant information costs and you can apply right through their system oh cool one of the things we've, we've we you mentioned that everything needs a booth shot and that's one of the things that is important so you after you buy your tent and you figure out your hanging stuff set it up in your yard figure out how the tent works for sure before the day of the festival because yeah. setup is a mess generally and you do not want to be trying to figure out your tent and asking your neighbor how do you work this thing mm. Um, but yeah, you, you upload your booth shot there and your example photos or, or whatever it is you're selling and uh, you can apply to them all there. It's usually $25, $35 an application, but that's the the most common one. Now, the second thing I've been doing lately is there's uh, Facebook groups mm-hmm. and sometimes these advertise smaller shows, stuff that's uh, not so formal, mm-hmm. which may be good for some people that are just starting out, you know, stuff that's only going to cost $10, $20, $30 to, to, um, to participate in. Mm. 
Um, and uh, I know in Atlanta, there's one. It's called the Pop Up Posse Atlanta on Facebook, and mm-hmm. I've, I've joined that last year. And oh, yeah. and I found some good uh, good opportunities there. I've found some good folks that they also they say, oh, I did this festival and it was horrible, or I did this festival and it was really nice. And so mm-hmm. those are helpful too, little little reviews. But I'm sure every area, you know, wherever they're listening, is is got something like that. Yeah. Um. So the other thing is, uh. So the, the more expensive the show, usually the larger the outreach, uh, marketing, and the attendance. Mm-hmm. And so when you're just starting out, you probably don't want to go for the um, you know $500 booth fee festival, you know. Sure. Um, so when I first started, I think the first show I did was $150, which is pretty typical for smaller smaller shows. And then mm-hmm. it just goes up from there um, and get really expensive. But it was nice to get my, my feet wet with a couple of, of small shows and figure out what the heck all this stuff was and set up and how am I going to fit this all in my little Camry and, and all that. Would the process still be relatively the same as far as like the setup between a $50 show and like a $500 show? I mean, like the steps are generally the same. Like you still have a tent that you have to set up. You still- right. But your booth shot. So if you've got super janky fishing line hangers like me back in the day, I probably wouldn't have gotten accepted in the really high end shows, of course. Mm. But if you've got super nice gallery walls and all this, then they're going to know you're serious. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you, you can spend thousands and thousands of dollars on a tent set up, um, which I would like love to do and have a, a way to take it somewhere, but it's just not in the cards. But, mm-hmm. but there's plenty of shows that that's not necessary. Right. Okay, cool. So just a quick question about the cost again. So there's an application fee and then a booth fee? Yes. Okay. And so uh, okay. now in my experience um, – I've only been rejected from one show, and it was one in Atlanta. It was a real big show, and mm-hmm. uh, I was waitlisted, I should say. Mm-hmm. And and as we mentioned earlier, photography is, of course, very, very common. And right. my, my assumption on that was they hit their limit on photography before I was in, and that was that. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's another thing is you have to be prepared for some rejection, some, some disappointment in this. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think anybody does their first show and sells $10,000 worth of work, you yeah. know. Yeah. Now that And you kind of... Uh, created a great segue i guess um we're not necessarily going to ask how much money you make <laughs> on 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 this stuff but i mean I, i'm curious to hear about like how successful how unsuccessful these can be like is it a crapshoot or is there generally kind of like a, a trend that you can kind or of can see can you make like a good living good. off this yeah okay so um the first show i did uh, was at a I'm not going to name specific shows because I don't want to make anybody yeah, no, mad, no, yeah. but but it was a really bad show. Mm. And there's I, I found out later that there's a lot of really bad reviews because the show, it was, okay, first of all, there's arts and then there's crafts. Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. it's a craft show, primarily a craft show, you're not going to sell any art. Mm. And uh, mm-hmm. so the show I did was an arts and crafts, which usually just means crafts. And mm-hmm. there was um, lawn ornaments. And, you know, whirly gigs and that kind of stuff, which is perfectly fine. Nothing wrong with that. But those sold like crazy. Mm-hmm. And I sold, I don't know, maybe five prints, which wasn't bad, you know, for my first time. Um, but, you know, I made back my booth fee plus a few dollars, you know, not not much. Mm-hmm. But, again, I was just getting my, my feet under me. And, sure. and uh, now one of the bigger shows I did, um, I actually will mention this was in Augusta. And uh, it's a very nice show. And it's focused on arts not crafts you know mm-hmm. maybe there's some crafts there but it's mostly art mm-hmm. and uh, i did pretty well there and um i really enjoyed that show it's a nice place and uh so but the cost of that show was 
exactly commensurate with the sales. Wow. So, um, you know, definitely I, I'm looking next year and planning my next next year's shows and I'm going to be trying to go for some of the higher tiered shows because I think it's just going to really help the sales, especially anything. I'm pretty much not applying to craft anything with craft in the title anymore because it's pretty much not yeah. going to happen. Now, every once in a while, you have no idea. Yeah. I went to an art-specific show, and I sold nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was very, very hard. Um, the sense of dejection of not selling anything. Mm-hmm. After spending, I spent about $500 to do that show Ooh. between the application, the the um, the booth fee. The booth fee the, wow. I, I had, uh, it, was, it was far away, so I yeah. ended up driving back sure. and forth a uh, hundred 50 miles a day for three days in a row to do the show um, because I didn't want to pay for a hotel. Oh, yeah. um, so all that to sell nothing. Wow. Wow. And uh, I talked, so and that show specifically, um, there was like 10 or 12 photographers, which is ridiculous. They shouldn't let that many people in mm-hmm. of the same medium, I mean. Mm-hmm. And uh, how many total artists do you think? I think there was 40. Oh, yeah. So it was like oh, a quarter a of the show was photography. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. the way the show was was set up, it was pretty much a corridor where you went from point A to point B and saw everything. Mm-hmm. And I was three booths down from the end. Mm-hmm. So the whole show, I saw people walking by with a bag of something and they mm-hmm. walked past my booth and didn't even look in. Yeah. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter what I was showing. They I could have been. spent their budget. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. and that just wasn't fair. The, 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 the show itself was the problem. I mean, not to not to say it wasn't me or anything, but but really that was just a poor setup yeah. for for the artist and mm-hmm. nobody near me. There was another photographer that was literally the last booth, and I think she sold one thing. And uh, I talked to her later, and and so you know this is what it is. And um, you know I won't be going back to that show, obviously. Mm-hmm. And and every show will have a a, uh, a survey, mm-hmm. and you can tell them how they did. And uh, so I I wrote them a big long thing that don't don't let. 10 photographers in or whatever obviously and uh so you know maybe they'll do better maybe they won't but i won't be going back but Mm -hmm. you you have to be prepared for for the worst and uh you know keep moving forward you can't get um can't get disappointed and give up after the first couple shows Mm -hmm. i mean i don't think anybody you know it's a raging success now your question earlier about can you make real money or you know i I met a a guy yeah make a living i met a guy at one of the festivals and he was a very nice guy, and he'd been doing it all his life. And he was a water watercolor watercolorist, and uh, he claimed, you know, I can't prove this or anything, that he was making seventy thousand dollars in sales a year. Mm-hmm. You know, so obviously you've got materials and sure. travel and all this, but that's still quite a lot of money. Yeah. Um. So you can make it, but of course, watercolor is much different than photography. Sure. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a tough sell for photography because everyone's a photographer. You mm-hmm. know, I will mm-hmm. say, especially at the smaller shows, the most common question I get. Is they look at the work and they look around and they look at they look at me and they say, "Did you take these? <laughs> you serious?" Yeah. The last show I did, it happened so much. I was getting a little frustrated, and uh, I started looking around like, "Yeah, <laughs> what? I don't even get that." It does that question doesn't even make sense to me. No, but. I well, I mean, think about how commodified everything these days. I think some people are genuinely um, think that people find stuff on the internet and print it out. I don't know. Mm, maybe mm-hmm. I'm maybe I'm wrong i don't know no i mean that's a fair assumption yeah but well okay so um let me flip this around so like the customers that you come in so i was listening to mike gutterman uh talking about his recent art festival and you can kind of get a feeling of whether like before even engaging with somebody and like one of his big not red flags but one of his 
first big indicators if somebody comes walking in with a camera. Oh, and, yeah. And he kind of already knows I'm not going to make this sale. Totally agree. Yeah. yeah. If they've got, oh, the bigger the sensor on the camera, the less likely it will be a sale. <laughs> oh, yeah. You got a Sony A7. Goodbye. <laughs> oh, and then a Nikon Z7 comes in. You as sure as heck ain't making a sale. <laughs> that was so funny. funny. Well, um, so I guess um, when you when you see those people come in and like, and they want to start talking shop, right? You know, oh, oh yeah. what kind of lens you use and. You know, they start kind of diving into that stuff. And then you have like other people that could potentially be customers that are coming in. Like, how are you kind of like dealing with, you know, hey, I'm, I got to go talk to these people, like without right. being like straight off, like shutting down, shutting them down. Yeah. yeah. I engage everyone. I don't mm-hmm. want to be rude for sure. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, those, those are the worst when they want to spend an hour in my booth talking about, you know, their grandpa's speed graphics sometimes right. or whatever, which, you know, that's fine. But um, usually if I see someone else coming in and they're looking at the work, I start looking over at them and flicking my eyes back and forth like I'm, I'm paying attention, but I'm trying to mm-hmm. look at what else is going Signal. on. Yeah. And, and, and if there's a lull in the conversation, I just start, I say, oh, uh, thanks for coming. This is, uh, you know, whatever. And, you know, I start talking to the other person yeah. and kind of disengage. It is hard because some yeah. people can't take a hint. And, yeah. uh, and you know, some, I've had people that have stayed for literally hours talking about whatever they wanted to talk about. Yeah. Wow. And uh, that can kind of blow if, if it's like there's other people and I know I'm not making a sale, obviously. Yeah. There, well, there was one instance that was kind of embarrassing for me um, when we were at one of these art festivals and uh, it was more long crafts. Let's be real. But, um, you know, I was there with my in-laws. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they're not art people. They don't understand, you know, what, what we're talking about here. So right. yeah, I had the camera around my neck and stuff like that. And I'm kind of walking around checking out people's works and stuff like that. So we come in, there's this one photographer and, uh, my father is like, Oh, that's a really nice picture. It's, you know, the Fox theater in downtown Atlanta and all that stuff. And, and he turns and looks at me, you could take that kind of picture. Right. I'm like, <laughs> Oh no. I was like, really? like you, did you, you just walked into this person's, you know <laughs> domain and then just like oh that's a nice picture you could do that right you know it's like yeah ouch like that is like I, i'm gonna just say it. that's a dick move you yeah, know yeah. <laughs> I, just a few weeks ago i was up in tennessee and we were at an art festival and there was a some woodcraft that i was looking at and i really liked it and i was thinking about buying something and uh, my wife said my wife was or one of them started chatting to my wife and she said something like, oh, yeah, and we, we do art festivals, too. And I said, don't tell them that. No, they don't care. I mean, and, and I was like, I got to buy something now. You know? <laughs> yeah, you should have bought that Fox Theater print. Just- <laughs> yeah, you know, I probably should have. I should have. I felt horrible. Like, I just I just remember I just went red in the face. Like, you, you know, when you, you oh, can yeah. feel it, you know, just yeah. faces burning. And I was just like. Maybe like I was trying to figure out some kind of way to like you know, really differentiate the picture or something yeah. like that. And uh, so I, I don't know. I mean, that is a really nice picture. And then I was just like, get me out of here as quickly as possible. You know, yeah. uh, it was very I've embarrassing. I've had parents do that, yeah. uh, you know, and oh, my little Johnny's in photography class at, at such and such. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, OK, that's nice. And, you know. I mean, I again, if they want to talk about shop, I I, I like talking about shop just like anybody else. Sure, but yeah. it does get frustrating sometimes. Yeah, I will say I've made a few sales to photographers, usually who also shoot film or at least understand yeah. um, the process. You know, if they if they're 
totally digital and don't really understand and, and appreciate the difference mm-hmm. or the, the the amount of work. You know, yeah. You know, photography is a hard sell today because I mean, you can take your cell phone out, click a button, and have a print in you know right. two seconds. So, right. You know, what value is a, a photograph at all when how many billions are uploaded to Facebook every second or whatever? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um. So everyone's a photographer. No one cares. But yeah. you have to really differentiate yourself and those stories and everything. I think are the really important things. Yeah. Because if you connect to somebody and uh, and they remember the story, you're selling yourself. You're not selling the photograph, really. That goes back to your talking about, you know, yourself is hard, but that's yeah. what you're selling. That's your product. Yeah. Mm, no, you, you're you, totally right. You're, you're absolutely right. And it's so funny because before we started recording, we were talking about Clyde Butcher. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he has a lot of prints. I mean, he has a lot of work, many years and stuff like that. But I was like, and you're like, well, which one do you like? All right. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, crap. I don't know if I'm being tested here or not, but I was like, no, it's the one him in the Badlands and the different buttes. And then, but here's the thing. I remember that damn story. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You he, said the story. It was yeah. the one, the, the storm, it was stormy that morning. He got up at four in the morning and then he was like, I don't know if I should go. It's just not going to be like, this isn't the right weather for it or anything along those lines. And then he, he was like, nah, I'm going to go. And he goes and then like he's setting up and everything. And then the sun broke the clouds for just a short moment. Yeah, and then he took the shot, and then it was gone, and that was it. Well, that's Clyde's um, best thing about his social yeah. media is I think he, he at noon or something he'll he'll post a, a picture of him setting up a camera, and he says the story of this photo is this, that, yeah. and the other. Come back at six p.m. to see the actual photo, and he does that several times a week, or yeah. his his marketing person, and yeah. and that's really a, a big deal. And of course, he gets so yeah. much engagement because people are like, "Oh, I've been there, or I did yeah. that." You know, if you just show a picture of a tree or whatever, you know, that's fine. But like, yeah. there's no engagement. Where was this tree? Why did you take the photo? What yeah. morning, you know, was it the morning, the evening, you know, yeah. all, all the story behind it is, is important too. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, absolutely. Uh, I, and I think a lot of Ansel Adams's work carries a story behind each one of those. I mean, the, the, there's a book, the 40 photographs right. and, and all of them have a story associated with them. The one that immediately comes to mind is Moonlight of, Moonrise over Hernandez. Every everyone knows that story. photographer knows that story, and that was really the the story that traveled out that really set him on a stage. That really people he became a household name uh, when it came to photography, to, realistically. Right. So, um, so I want to start wrapping up here, and um, and I typically ask my guests this one question. What question did I not ask that you would have liked me to have asked? Good question. <laughs> I don't know. You, should, you didn't prep me for this one. <laughs> I guess I, I didn't really talk about exactly what I shoot. I guess I kind mm-hmm. of alluded to landscapes, but that's not everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like a lot of uh, architecture and uh, also documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were talking about large format a lot, but I do shoot a lot of 35 millimeter. I like to shoot protests and uh different mm. events and such that uh you know, the, the human condition kind of stuff political sure. stuff is interesting uh mm-hmm. many years ago at, at uh my alma mater valdosta state we had a situation where there was a flag burning mm. and uh there's a whole lot of protests and counter protests and counter counter protests and i documented mm. all of it on 35 millimeter and it was a lot of fun and i like i got into not political action i'll say but mm-hmm. but documentary stuff to, to mm-hmm. really show what was going on and not sure. Maybe maybe not explicitly state an opinion or, or show an opinion, but right. maybe maybe a little bit of 
something was there in the photography that you might all, feel something. All of. documentary. It's well, just so interesting how photojournalists have all these like rules and have to be objective or whatever. And you're like, it's your eye. It's your oh, yeah. thoughts. Like the, the act yeah. of framing something in the camera is, exactly. is editing and, and, and commentary yeah, itself. Exactly. You do that on yeah. purpose or whatever. So, I mean, no harm in it. It's your work. So it's right. cool though. I mean, I certainly don't work for the AP or anything. So whatever. <laughs> I do whatever I want. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. So uh, let me, uh, this is another question, a follow-up question on something I didn't really think of up until now. Um, Is there a particular place when we kind of talked about the hiking and stuff like that, is there a particular place that you find yourself often going back to like that same spot that you just love going back to? Oh yeah, totally. So like I mentioned earlier, I I live really close to Amicalola Falls and uh, Amicalola Falls State Park. uh, Most people park and they go look at the falls and they leave and that's fine but at the top of the falls there's a trail called the east ridge trail Mm -hmm. and most of georgia you know we see trees and trees and trees but the east ridge trail actually looks out and there's you know on a ridge where there's no trees mostly no trees and uh i go there i try to go there at least once or twice a week because um it it looks northwest and if the if there's a storm coming in you can see Mm. it coming in and the sun sets uh that direction and so you know in in Georgia, especially, I feel like, you know, the sunset, maybe, maybe one in 10 is nice. Yeah. You know, it's usually just gray and blue and blah. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, so I, I go up there and I'll set up a camera and I'll wait. And then sometimes I'll be like, well, not today. Mm. And I probably shot 30 sheets of film out there trying to get something different or the storms coming in. I've got a few photos, good photos from there, but it's always different. It's always fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I was up there a few weeks ago and it started pouring down rain. And uh, I was packing up to leave and I looked going up the trail and there was just a, a river of water coming down the trail. I don't know where it came from. I was like, oh, I better get out of here before I get washed down the, down the trail. Wow. So, so it's a fun little place that most people don't know. I never hardly see anybody up there, but I go up there all the time because it's not far away. Yeah. Well, I'm sure after this episode. Oh, yeah. Shoot. <laughs> Strike that. <laughs> That's funny. So, well, cool, man. Well, um. I'd like to know, uh, I guess, for the listeners and stuff like that, um, where can we find your social media stuff, uh, your website, and um, and if somebody likes to see your prints, where they where can they go see that? Mostly uh, Instagram. My my handle is have film underscore will travel. <laughs> nice. So uh, I, I mostly post there, and uh, it's print or when I'm printing in the dark room or the camera set up somewhere or, or scans or whatever, I don't know, no cat pictures or anything like that. Uh, so it's just what I'm usually doing. I don't, I don't really have a website. Uh, that's not my business website. That doesn't really matter, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's hard to show prints. People always ask me at the art mm-hmm. festivals, do you, where can I see your prints online? I say, well, you can see them right here. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. hard to show silver gelatin prints online. They just yeah. don't look the same. Mm-hmm. So I don't really do that. I need mm-hmm. to, at some point have a point of sale, but, um, yeah, I don't really do that. Okay. You pretty much just showed like the scan of the image. Yeah, it's, it's mostly it makes, scans. Yeah, yeah but, but like I said, they're never the same really when I print them. Yeah, so. that's a good point. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, cool, man. Well, uh, Brian, thank you for uh, coming out here and uh, telling us a little bit more about art festivals. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah we I'm, appreciate it. Yeah, and um, I, I've learned quite a bit because uh, I've dabbled with the idea. And then a lot of unknowns that uh, kind of really kind of strayed me away from doing that. But it's daunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's a lot of work. Um, so, well, cool, man. Well, I, I appreciate it. Typically, we finish off this episode by saying shoot some film. Dang it. I was wondering if you could help us out close this episode with that. <laughs> okay. 
All right, guys. Well, uh, that wraps it up for this episode. Uh, you can follow us uh, on Instagram at studios.c41. Uh, you can check out our website, studioc41.net. And uh, um, and on our YouTube channel, just do a search on YouTube for Studio C41. So that wraps it up for this episode. And uh, until the next one, shoot, shoot some, some film. film. Dang it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>